was the show about Christmas, about Premier League games, about tips to stop Ackers from crashing in flames. Mark's in the Bet Cave selecting tips with great care. Jason has quizzes and insights to share. Jake's got XG so he can praise Mikel Arteta. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Plenty of Boxing Day treats to get our teeth into. Betting guru Mark O'Hare has been looking out for ratings instead of reindeer. Mark, let's get straight into it. Uh, West Ham against Southampton at three o'clock. Now, the Hammers have only won one of their last six Premier League games. They haven't won any of their last four competitive matches. Does that mean they're a bit short at odds on or does Saints' awful away record make that a fair price? Um, yeah, I couldn't find too much in the actual match odds to, to get too excited about. I think the market's probably about where I expected them to be. Uh, Saints, uh, winless in six coming into this, uh, have had injuries and illness as well. Uh, they're expected to have Fraser Forster back, Adam Armstrong as well. Bro's just been fit and available. So I think it's only Shea Adams and McCarthy now missing, which are obviously key players, but it's not as bleak a picture as it has been in recent weeks. Um but yeah, I was, I was looking through Saints and they've dropped 16 points from winning positions this season. And actually, across the calendar year, they've conceded 75 goals. The record across the, the calendar year for goals conceded is held by Ipswich. And it's 79. So they're only four goals off the, the record, which is quite shocking, really. And uh, you look at their campaign so far this season, three league wins, all of which came by the same 1-0 scoreline. So they are very difficult to trust, but I, I don't often get them too right. Uh, whereas West Ham, you know, we know that Bonner and Zuma are missing a centre-back. So um, they've only failed to score three times this season. You expect them to score, but it's whether they're capable of keeping Saints out. So I, I thought I'd kind of leave that alone. I did some digging, actually, and... Um, some quite what I thought was quite interesting stats. Uh, I'm not sure whether you guys will agree, but um, <laughs> we um, usually do agree. We usually do. <laughs> it's um, it's Southampton corners, which you know corners isn't something I normally tend to to look towards. But um, if you look through the sort of uh, various kind of heat maps, 75% of Saints' attacks go down the flanks rather than through the middle, and they're actually ranking fourth in terms of corners collected per game in the Premier League this season, 6.21, which is a really high number. Uh, obviously, the, the, the runaway top three are, are clear in that metric, but Saints are actually fourth and West Ham are fifth, uh, but a decent shift below Southampton. They're at 5.71, Southampton at 6.21. Now, Southampton have won five or more corners in 82% of their Premier League games, six or more corners in 65%, and they've won seven or more in almost half of their Premier League matches, which is really quite phenomenal really for a team sort of struggling towards the bottom end of the table they've won the corner count in 10 of their Premier League games they've only lost it in four um, now Chelsea and Man City are the only teams to have three or more corners more than Southampton and despite losing 4-0 at Anfield they actually won the corner count 7-5 they also won eight corners at the Etihad, at the Emirates and five corners at the Etihad so um, yeah I, you know the market's not fully formed at the moment but uh, my advice would be to head over to the, the bet builder come Boxing Day uh, have a look at the corner prices because you will get probably around even money on Southampton to win five corners you could also sort of tag it up with uh, Southampton you know, even to have four corners plus uh, the match to have about over nine and a half, over ten and a half, because West Ham are pretty prolific in that market too. So um, it's just one to watch, really. Um, not a, a sort of official tip, but uh, something that kind of piqued my interest uh, in the week. And uh, it's quite hard to explain, really, considering their league position. But uh, they've been really, really prolific at getting those flag kicks in. So, um, yeah, Southampton corners all the way. I love it when Mark gets excited about a stat like that. 
because it's like kind of kids around the tree Christmas morning. It's that kind of vibe when Mark finds a stat that he finds interesting. If you do want to put those corners into uh, a multiple, into a bet builder, by the way, worth bearing in mind that our fantastic multiples offer is running every day. Bet £20 on multiples or bet builders and receive a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. Now, Jake Oskarthorpe from InfoGoal has dressed up the XG robots in tinsel, Santa hats and fairy lights. Jake, let's kick off your selections then uh, with a London derby between Tottenham and Crystal Palace. Spurs held Liverpool last weekend. They went through to the semi-finals of the League Cup in midweek. Tottenham odds on 1.78 to take the win. And they have been excellent at home since Antonio Conte took over. They have, yeah. They've been fantastic. Um, and I think... Most eye-catchingly is their attacking process and how much that has increased somewhat drastically. I mean, just for context, in five Premier League games under Antonio Conte, they generated 10.8 expected goals. In 10 matches under Nuno, they managed just 11.3 expected goals. So it kind of shows you this stark <laughs> contrast and the, the sort of... Poor old Nuno. He gets hammered all the time, doesn't he? <laughs> he does, yeah. But, you know, that kind of shows you the, the, the difference in approach, the difference in what Conte wants to do and probably the, the golfing calibre of manager which is no slight on Nuno it's just you know real positive for Spurs to have got Conte there and um, and yeah they, they were excellent against Liverpool uh, you know they played on the back foot for the most part but counter-attacked really really well and clinically racked up nearly three expected goals against Liverpool actually won the XG battle which is not something that we see very often um, for teams playing against Liverpool so they deserve a lot of credit for that um, and you know the four straight home games They've created over two expected goals. Yes, the opposition for three of those wasn't great, but um, we're starting to see a level of consistency that really is you know, eye-catching uh, and suggests that we should really be taking them a little bit more seriously now heading into the, um, you know, the new year in particular. Crystal Palace, they do deserve some respect in this game because you know, we speak about the improvement that Conte's made at Tottenham, but Vieira's done something pretty much you know, sensational, something that we didn't expect him to. Um, so looking at the XG process, the expected goal difference per game under Roy Hodgson last season was at minus 0.75. It's now at zero. So Patrick Vieira has, in theory, improved Crystal Palace by 0.75 of an expected goal per game, which is a staggering number, really. And um, the only issues they've had have really come away from home. That's the, been the main Achilles heel. They've been absolutely unbelievable at Selhurst Park from a process standpoint. But on the road allowing 1.58 expected goals against per game, creating 1.07. So if you compare that to the home process, which is at 1.69 expected goals for and 0.75 against, there's a stark contrast there. And um, I think that this is going to be a really entertaining open game. I think both these teams will fancy the chance of scoring. Um, But I think the way in which Spurs have been attacking, particularly at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, um, deserves a lot of respect. And I think we could be in for another high scoring game. So, I think it's um, it's three three of the four home matches under Conte have gone over two and a half goals, and that's where I'm going again in this one. Uh, I think it's going to be quite an open, as I've said, expansive game. And I think the even money that you're getting around over two and a half is probably doing both both teams a little bit of a disservice. I think it's it's still painting Palace in the negative, defensive minded picture uh, as they were under Hodgson, whereas we now know they are much more progressive and they play much more front foot, high press football. 
And Spurs, they've got so many strong attacking weapons and, and they've really found a groove in that area. So over two and a half looks a real play to me. Exciting stuff. Now, thrilled to be joined once again by trader Jason Murphy. He's been working the team of betting elves very, very hard ahead of the festive period. Uh, Jason, we've had plenty of postponements recently because of that spike in COVID-19 cases, the Omicron variant. And I know you've got some interesting views on how it can affect the fairness of a competition. I must admit, I've been thinking about this because there's been this debate, hasn't there, about should we just push through with games if teams have, say, 13 players and a goalkeeper, they should just get on with it. Does it affect that competitive balance of a tournament? Yeah, I think I think it very much does. And it's, it's a good thing when you sit down and you're asked these questions to think about how would you price it up or how would you quantify it? Um, obviously, the big thing is the World Cup on the horizon next year. I think it's too far out to, to start thinking about that and how you know players might be suffering burnout and stuff. Maybe the start of next season, you can start to try and quantify it there. But if we look very recently, just at the League Cup games uh, this week that have taken place, we can start to quantify a little bit the effects of what is happening. So if you look at Liverpool and Chelsea's prices to qualify from those League Cup quarterfinals last week and look at what the war come kickoff, uh, there are significant moves there that have a knock-on effect on the outright prices. So Chelsea at one stage were about 2-5 to five to qualify against Brentford. They went off virtually even money to qualify come kickoff and the effect on the outright price would move it from about 7-2 to two to about 11-2. to two. So that affects their outright prices, their chances of winning the competition by about 7% and their chances of winning that actual match and coming through the tie was about 20%. Now, these are cup competitions. There's assumptions there that if all players were available, that the managers were picked them. But we know that the Don Klopp, particularly in the cups, does mix up these lineups. But if you get to a Champions League semi-final or a final and Liverpool will want to pick their best 11. But if it's a situation where they can't pick their best 11 because of COVID and their opponents are unaffected by that, I mean, if that's a Champions League final, that can affect Liverpool's chances by 20%. Or if it's happening earlier in the competition, can affect their outright chances by about 5 or 7%. So there is the question there, is that unfair making teams that are affected by COVID play against teams that are not? And over a prolonged period or in knockout competitions in particularly one-off games, it definitely certainly raises the question of the integrity of the competition and whether there will be an asterisk attached to whoever comes out at the far end of it. There's a couple of other little points you can go into um, with how COVID can impact things. I mean, um, if you think about tournament format and tournament structure, I don't like... I suppose, Kev, we can all remember what happened with the Champions League when it came back after lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Well, they changed the format entirely to like one-off games instead of those two-legged affairs, which a lot of people quite liked, actually, that that kind of <laughs> final tournament. Yeah, and that's that's a very fair point. And there was an argument last night as well. It was a bit of a leveller. as made some of those games a lot more interesting. The fact that Leicester were playing the depleted Liverpool. Brentford had a great chance. Should have been 3-0 up by half-time last night. Um, so it is a great leveller. And that's why you'd have less confidence in backing tournament favourites with the uncertainty that's around at the moment. So that Champions League, if you look at Leon, they played Juventus with home advantage in the last 16 first leg in the, the 1-1-0. They didn't play the second leg until six months later. And when yeah. they went to play Juve, Juventus had no home advantage because there was no spectators. Juventus lost that, uh, lost the tie on away goal. So it really, really had a, a strong impact there. And if you look at Leon then in the next round, against Man City, it's a quarter-final, it's a one-leg in Lisbon, Pep overthinks it and, and they get knocked out, whereas I'm very confident if that game took place over two legs, 
that Man City will come through. So when tournament structures changes and it becomes one leg, there's more chances of upsets. And that, again, affects the outright prices. So, yeah, definitely looking ahead towards the Champions League. If you're trying to quantify it and looking for angles, um, we know Bayern Munich were affected with players not being vaccinated. Couldn't pick players for Dynamo Kiev. They had to quarantine. Uh, Kimmich at the moment is out until next year. So you'd have to think about those kind of factors. So maybe teams that are have high vaccination rates or leagues that have them. So again, Villarreal, if you're having a look there, Villarreal maybe. Um, the fact that they're five points at the moment off top four. So if teams are having depleted squads, if Villarreal aren't in the top four race in the league, they can throw everything at the Champions League. Uh, other small factors such as Jared Moreno coming back. So you could have a look at the outsiders because essentially the overarching point is COVID creates uncertainty and syndicates don't like uncertainty like syndicates when they price up a match they have a fair idea of what those starting 11s are and if one of the starting 11 is different they'll still pull the trigger on the on on, on the bet on the execution but if there's two or three differences in the starting 11 it's too much uncertainty and therefore don't pull the trigger as such so yeah covid because it's uncertainty that it creates absolutely tightens up the field and can make the outsiders a bit more value than what they would be in more certain times and of course, we may well be going back to uh, ghost games, as they call them in Germany. We've already got that actually in Germany, but we might have that in the UK at some stage as well. Chelsea struggling to last the pace in the Premier League title race right now. They've won just two of their last six top flight games. They face Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa at Villa Park. It's going to be like Frank Lampard's Derby, if you remember uh, when uh, he went to Derby. We had to call them Frank Lampard's Derby. So now it's Stephen Gerrard. Gerrard's Aston Villa. Uh, Chelsea 1.75. Mark, what's the best angle here? Uh, I think to oppose Chelsea, um, pretty much a rinse and repeat job to, to what we did when they played Wolves. Uh, I just think the environment is very similar to to that match at Molyneux. Um, Aston Villa, uh, we know, probably aren't yet on the same um, level of process, resilience, defensive organisation as Wolves, but they're certainly working very hard on it. Steven Gerrard highlighted it as a key area of weakness that needed improvement when he was appointed. And I think the the early results have been quite encouraging. Just five Premier League goals conceded in six, three of which came against Liverpool and Man City, neither of which were given an easy ride by Villa at all. Um, and you look at what Wolves produced against Liverpool and City, they were then able to nullify Chelsea at Molyneux. Of course, Chelsea were missing many of their frontliners as well in that match. But um, as far as we're aware right now, uh, Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku possibly still absent for Boxing Day. Havertz should be around at least, but it's not just uh, going forward, it's, it's defensively too. Chelsea have been a lot more open, a lot more easy to play against. That Wolves match was their first clean sheet in six. They conceded twice or more in, in three successive games prior to that match too. Uh, Thomas Tuchel seems very unhappy about his midfield and you know, there's talk that he's been rushing players back early from injury to try and plug those gaps. And It just feels like a bit of an unhappy camp at the moment at Chelsea and I know there's been talk about about um, players who are out of contract in the summer and you know, come January they should be able to negotiate with clubs outside of the UK which obviously leads to a few distracted minds in the squad so you know, where we were in August we thought Chelsea had a super strong squad all heading in the right direction suddenly it feels like there's a couple of cracks beginning to show and I think it's more than just results based as well so yeah I think judging how Villa performed against Liverpool and City the fact that they almost always score they failed to score just three times a season in the Premier League um, I think you can get Villa on side here um, whether you want to lay Chelsea at the prices back Villa double chance uh, personally I'm going to go down the, the Asian handicap route of backing Aston Villa plus three quarters which means even if Chelsea win by 
uh, solitary goal. We'll only, we'll only lose half of our stake just as a bit of preservation into the into the bet there too. Um, I know Villa have had issues with COVID themselves, but from what we can gather, it seems more to be fringe players and sort of uh, hardened first team players. So uh, probably one to watch, obviously, as with every match is team news in the lead up to Boxing Day. But um, yeah, I think this is a tricky game for Chelsea. Yeah, Jake, it's amazing how quickly things can change because we've been very bullish generally about Chelsea and with good reason, but... It is difficult, isn't it? Once that tension level starts to rise, Thomas Tuchel is a guy who is demanding. He can be quite abrasive. And it's perhaps no surprise that he's trying to challenge these players and trying to push them quite hard. Yeah, it's not a surprise. Um, you know, the, the, you've also got the facts factor in, as we've said, all the COVID issues that they've got in the squad. They've got a lot of injuries in central midfield area, which is um, you know, lack of Kovacic, who's been missing for a while. Saul Niguez hasn't really adjusted to life in the Premier League um, and also you've got to factor in the, the amount of games that Chelsea have played during every competition they've, going, they've gone deep into the Carabao Cup you know the Premier League they've only had one of their games postponed so far um, but just digging a little bit deeper we, we, we are we have been quite bullish on Chelsea but when we're looking at the the XG table now there is a clear gulf between Chelsea and Man City and Liverpool Man City and Liverpool have pulled well clear from an XG process standpoint so that basically tells you that Chelsea, while it is technically still a free horse race, they've got to up their game if they're to keep pace because the, the kind of rate that they're running at the moment isn't going to see them uh, lift, the, lift the title. So for context, expected goal difference is a really easy way to just gauge a sort of team's process. Manchester City's is plus 33. Liverpool's is plus 29.9. Chelsea's is plus 16.5. So there's quite a big drop off. Um, and Manchester City's expected goal difference is actually twice as good as Chelsea's. It kind of shows you just the consistent level in which City and Liverpool are playing at is much better than Chelsea's. And that's the same for um, sort of my angle for this game because everything Mark said, bang on, I'm, I'm also going to be opposing Chelsea. I'm going to be doing it in a different way. I'm going to be taking under two and a half goals at around 1.9 <clears throat> because I think if, if Villa do avoid defeat, then it will be either a 1-1 or a 1-0 to, to Villa rather than a, something like a 2-2. A and, you know, as we Mark said, Villa have been excellent defensively. They've only conceded more than 1.3 expected goals in one of their six matches under Steven Gerrard, which was actually at Anfield. Um, and Chelsea away from home, their process hasn't been very good. I mean, it's good compared to the rest of the league. But if you're comparing it to the fellow title contenders, it's really not as great. Uh, and they're averaging around 1.66 expected goals for per game, 1.19 again. So, you know, an average of around 0.4 expected goal difference per game. Manchester City at 2.4 expected goals for per game, 0.86 against, you know, there's a massive gap there. Um, Are they breaking your XG robots, Manchester City? it's funny. I, I, I'm glad you, you've, you've asked me about Man City because I, I didn't. I couldn't find a bet for this their game this weekend. But the answer to that is yes. They're performing at a level that we haven't seen ever before. Um, so again, if you take the expected goal difference per game as a really good gauge to see sort of supremacy on average every match, this current Manchester City team are averaging plus 1.83 expected goal difference per game. And the best that we have on record was Manchester City's 18-19 season, which was 1.71 expected goal difference per game. So they've actually improved that by 0.1 expected goals. And that was already a ridiculous level. Um, so I've, I've got, I made a graphic the other day for an article and it literally is it is a really good... It's, it's, it's a boring guessing game, but you can almost see just looking at the best teams in the Premier League based on expected goal difference where Pep Guardiola came into the, the Premier League because it was... 14-15, it was Chelsea. 15-16, it was Arsenal. 
and then Pep joined and ever since it's been Man City the best team in the league based on expected goals so um, you know their level of domination is, has been sort of exceptional and you know you throw Liverpool into the mix because they've not been too far behind in those uh, you know the two three seasons should we say this season their title winning season the season before um, and their away process just to compare it to Chelsea's again they're averaging 2.7 expected goals for per game or 1.36 against so both City and Liverpool away from home are averaging an expected goal difference of around plus 1.2 or greater and Chelsea's at plus 0.4 so you're starting to see a big gulf um, and I hope I put that into decent enough context there uh, and then you factor that in with everything Mark said about Villa and how they've really improved the issues Chelsea have in injuries and COVID etc and I think that we could be in for a very cagey um, low scoring game which is why I've gone with the under two and a half uh, rather than potentially taking on Chelsea because you know Chelsea have got quality in the squad um, you know one of the biggest squads in Europe one of the mo- most international footballers in the squad so it wouldn't be as- a massive surprise if they went to Villa Park and you know nicked a 1-0 win um, so taking under two and a half just gives you that security just in case Chelsea do go to Villa and actually get a result Jason just a quick one on what Jake was saying about Manchester City because the fact that they are pushing the boundaries and actually doing things that Jake and the data guys haven't really seen before in terms of that supremacy and that consistency. Does that make them a nightmare to price up or is it just you use your tried and trusted methods and just adjust them as they get better? That's it. You just uh, tried and trusted methods, trust the process. Um, Josh Schmidt, the Irish rugby coach, like he, that was his mantra, trust the process. If you do the right things, you'll get the right results more often than not. And that's what we always say. Don't worry about results. If you're back enough value bets, you know, you, you'll end up in the green at the end of it too. And that's what Pep has brought to Man City, that structure, that process. Um, and it just produces the results. And it's very clear because the points total to win a Premier League title has gone through the roof since Pep took over. And credit to Liverpool, they've actually responded and got to that level too. Chelsea you know, since Tuchel's took over, have looked like getting to that level too. But we discussed at the start of the season, if you're going to win this league title, you have to be breaking 90 points. And there's no other team, bar those three, that's capable of doing it. Even even if Schalzgar was still in charge of United and he put up 85 points, that would be a really good season for Schalzgar in terms of what he could get out of that United squad with the football he's trying to play. But there's no one touching these, you know, breaking the 90 points. And it's so obvious since Pep came in, like Jake illustrated it there and, like I think Leicester are just lucky that Pep didn't arrive a couple of seasons beforehand because uh, there's no way they're winning that title with that points total if, if he had arrived. But um, City, yeah, they're hard to price up, but we were talking about certainty earlier. The fact is that Man City, you can trust them to do what they do. And if they look, if you stumble on a price that you think City look too big on, you can have confidence in backing it because they're so consistent in what they produce. Now, do you feel that an unfair moment has cost you a winning bet? Then let Dimitar Varbatov know. He's called Dimitar Berbatov, but we've used VAR to call him Varbatov. Now, let Dimitar Varbatov know and you could get your bet paid out. Send any examples over the weekend or over the next few days to at Betfair on social media using the hashtag VARBATOV and the former Spurs and Manchester United striker will make his ruling. I dread to think how many responses we got after the Spurs versus Liverpool game. Now, the final game on Boxing Day sees Brighton take on Brentford in the battle of the Data Kings, Tony Bloom against Matthew Benham. Uh, Mark Brighton have now gone 11 
without a win in the league, which I found extraordinary when I was looking through. What on earth is going on? Yeah, it's, it's surprising. Three months now without a Premier League win. Um, I'm not really sure why this is in the prime time position on Boxing Day. It's not a game I'd be t- particularly looking forward to watching. To honest. I don't <laughs> think it's going to be massively entertaining, but there we go. Um, yeah, what's gone wrong? Well, last season we talked about them every week because they were creating chances. They weren't taking them. They were limiting their opponents' opportunities um, and just weren't able to get over the line really until that kind of final third on where they pulled clear of safety and it's, it's not really been the case this season they did start very well but they were running a little bit hot um, but they're certainly not producing the same level of, of process or performance uh, I still have them projecting as a top half team but th- that table is very much congested and their attacking game has just been so meek uh, so far uh, particularly in recent weeks and uh, in terms of non-penalty expected goals they're in the bottom four um, which is you know really quite poor for a team like Brighton particularly on, on what they achieved last season if you look at big chances career they're in the bottom six and yeah and raw results winless in 11 um, winless in three months uh, they've only scored twice or more in one of those games uh, weirdly it came at Anfield but uh, across the Premier League season they've only won a match by two goals or more once which is always quite alarming for me uh, a team that isn't able to sort of put their opposition to bed really so there's absolutely no way I could be going near them at odds on quotes uh, against Brentford um a Brentford team who have been hit by COVID uh, quite badly, but uh, everything we hear from the, the Bees camp now suggests that they are recovering. They are able to to field uh, much closer to a first 11, uh, apart from the injuries coming into Boxing Day. So that means Ivan Tony, Sergi Canos, Ethan Pinnock, you know, key players in that spine of the side coming back into the fold. So Brentford have only failed to score four times since promotion, which is really quite impressive, really. So if they do score at the Amex, you would fancy them to, to avoid defeat as well, considering Brighton's toils in the final third. Um, now, Brighton do get Duffy back. I think Webster's due to be back as well. But now Basuma is suspended and he's a big miss in that centre midfield. So, uh, absolutely no way I want to get Brighton on side. Odds on quotes. Um, I'm really struggling to kind of get to that price. So, for me, it's about uh, opposing them, getting Brentford on side with a half goal start. Um, much more appealing. But, uh, you know, you have to say it as well, the draw is a massive runner here too. Uh, not a fond kind of backer of the draw, but it's trading around 3.3 on the sportsbook. And, you know, if you combine the two teams' records this season 13 of 32 Premier League games have ended all square that's 41% really strong figure um, but also you could probably take that price further by backing the draw and under two and a half goals I'll be very very surprised if this is a 2-2 or a 3-3 but uh, yeah I mean uh, my main sort of takeaway from this match is just to oppose Brighton uh, at those prices now we can always rely on Jason for some alternative angles some fun bets and Jason you've got a few ideas for us over the festive period yeah so Obviously, it's a very unique period. You kind of have three rounds of Premier League fixtures in a quite congested space of time. And I had a look at the last four seasons just to see if there was anything interesting in the numbers. So essentially, you took 117 games and I looked at the closing prices. And based on the closing prices, you can work out what points, expected points a team should get based on what price they are to win the match or what price they are to draw the match. And if you look at home teams over those 117 games, they're performing... 0.05 0.05 of a point worse than what the market closes at. Um, so that's 0.05 of a point. If we put it into a goal rating, which we're more familiar with, it's about 0.1 of a goal. So to quantify that, if you're back in a home team over the Christmas period at 13 to 8, they're performing as a 7 to 4 shot. Uh, so I'm just wondering, is this something to do with the markets maybe overrating home comforts at the Christmas period? You know, are home teams less disciplined because they're not, 
you know, stuck in the team hotel overnight, having to be, you know, behaving themselves on the bus. They're at home. They're staying up a bit later. They're eating a box of celebrations. They're about to go to bed for the match. Next thing, die hard starts. Fast forward an hour later, and they're yelling, yippee <laughs> mother, where's the second box of celebrations? So over the Christmas period, over those 117 games, the last four seasons, who do you think is the team that's been most disciplined at home and has performed the best versus expectations? Oh, it's got to be Manchester City, hasn't it? Pep doesn't allow any nonsense. Yeah, he came out and said that, actually, didn't he, there last week, that he, he dropped Foden and Grealish for apparently being out in a nightclub and he's he's going to be watching that. But uh, City perform as expected. <laughs> you know, whatever the market expects him to do, City normally delivers. So they're kind of middle of the road on this metric. The best performing team is Leicester. They're, they're the best well-disciplined. So maybe Jamie Vardy, now in his later years, he's not hopping off the blue wickets <laughs> over Christmas. <laughs> Their performance is I about... I find that hard to believe. <laughs> so do performance is about 0.3 of a point, which again, if you equate it to the goals that were ratings that we're more accustomed to talking about, it's about 0.5 of a goal, which is really incredible. So if Leicester are an even money shot, they're performing like a four to six shot, which is incredible. Um, obviously then the reverse of that, who do you think is the team that doesn't behave themselves and goes a little bit crazy at Christmas? Newcastle. They seem like a variety <laughs> bunch. <laughs> Bit of crack up there. It's actually Chelsea. Um, if you ah. if you take it that Chelsea, they actually perform a bit worse than Leicester overperform. So if Chelsea are a four to six shot to win a game, they're actually performing like a six to five shot. Um, so it's a bit of fun. It's an interesting metric. Can you actually use it? Maybe if you're looking at back in your rackets, maybe avoid home teams over the Christmas period. Um, you know, maybe Jamie Vardy can be your Bruce Willis. Maybe he can be your hero. And <laughs> Thomas Tuchel, we know he's a Bond villain, but maybe he's the Hans Gruber of this piece. Um, but look, if you're trying to put them into NACA for a bit of crack on Stevens Estates fixtures in the 27th, the four teams that performed the best on this very, very rough metric on a very limited sample size for a bit of crack would be Arsenal, Man United, Crystal Palace and Leicester. And as luck would have it, those four teams are all away from home on that opening round after Christmas. Now, obviously, Leicester away to Man City is a massive price, but all four teams to win is about 130, 130 to one shot. But if you take their market prices now, and if they were, which they won't be, but consistent in their overall performance of the last four seasons, that 130 to one shot would actually be a 40 to one shot. Very serious disclaimer. I'm not saying that's the case, but you know, just but obviously I big prices. It. But if you wanted to say maybe those four teams to avoid defeat, it's a much more likely price to click, and it's actually nine to one for those four teams to avoid defeat. Um, so it's a bit of crack. The other fun act I'd have over the Christmas period. Very lucky that actually I'm off first time since I was about 15 that I won't be working over Christmas, so I'm going to make the most of it. Going to completely switch off, and I never advise anyone to do anything that I wouldn't be doing myself. So the only bet I'm really looking to have between Stevens' Day and New Year's is I'm going to back what I consider to be at the moment the five best teams in the league. It's going to be Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, City and United to win. And if you actually look at the way those five games are spaced out, You'd have Arsenal against Wolves, the early kickoff on the 28th. You'll have Leicester against Liverpool that evening. Then the following evening, you'll have Chelsea and Man City, slightly staggered kickoff times. And then you'll have Man United the night after that. So you can do a nice ACA on the morning of the 28th. It pays at about 9-2. to two. I'm not saying it's a great price. I'm just saying it's a fun price. You'll have a bit of entertainment and a bit of enjoyment across all those matches if we start to get a few results. You don't always have to have a bet. Christmas is just a time to chill out enjoy the fun, have a bit of crack. And that's what I plan on doing. And yeah, if a few of these bets click, then happy days. If they don't, at least had a bit of crack.
tremendous stuff and I knew we were going to get a mention of Die Hard somewhere <laughs> along the line and quite right too uh, it wouldn't be football only better if Mark O'Hare didn't take us on a magical mystery tour and he has two selections from Scotland Mark the stage is yours yeah sure um, I'll keep it relatively short and sweet um, starting with Rangers playing St Mirren uh, Rangers have made a, an excellent start under Van Bronckhorst seven wins from eight unbeaten games only failed to win a dead rubber against Leon in the Europa League um, now in the Premiership they've churned out eight successive wins overall this season it's 15 wins from 19 at Ibrox going back to the beginning of last season 26 wins from 29 unbeaten league games and they've kept clean sheets in 20 of those victories as well conceding just 11 goals in those 29 matches so you know it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to work out that Rangers should probably beat St Mirren on Boxing Day um, but uh, I think you can back Rangers to win to nil or Rangers and BTDS no around 175 uh, because because, you know, a lot rides on the opposition here and St Mirren have been really badly hit by COVID in the past week or so and had to bring back a load of kids so I'm loan from elsewhere to, to fill the bench really against Celtic on Wednesday night and they managed to escape with a nil-nil draw against Celtic uh, despite losing the shot count 34 um, so yeah, to play, you know, a second old firm game, or a second old firm opposition in the space of a few days, particularly when you put all your energy into the the home match, um, you know, it's, it's going to be very difficult for for the buddies to get anything from this match at Ibrox, I think. So their record against the old firm is, is nine defeats from eleven uh, under Jim Goodwin. They failed to score in all of their away defeats against the big two as well, and they've now scored just three goals in eight league games, and they're winless since October as well. So um, they're going to be sort of patched up, sort of filling the bench with kids again. Uh, uh, very difficult game to go away and get a result. So I expect Rangers to win the match uh, without conceding. And then, yeah, going back to our old friends who did us proud last week, Kelsey Hearts in Scotland's Division uh, League Two. Um, so numerous firms have already paid out on them winning the title already because they're comfortable anti-post favourites. They're, they're already unbeaten. They're seven points clear with the game in hand. 13 wins from 16. Their budget is, is probably bigger than every league, every team in the league above. Um, so, yeah, they're cruising at the moment. Nine wins from 10 unbeaten games, averaging 2.86 goals per game away from home. They've got a plus 27 goal difference. They own a, a 66% shot ratio, allow just 2.3 shots on target per game. They are comfortably the best team in the league and they're going away to Annan. And they're 1.8. Uh, I think it might have been chipped in this morning to around 175, but still far too big a price for the best team in the league by a country mile. Uh, Annan have won three on the spin, but all of which have come against teams outside the top four. Uh, they've managed just four, uh, five clean sheets this season. Their record is at home is, is three wins, two draws and three defeats, which is pretty poor uh, considering their league position. They lost the reverse game. My ratings have them down as a, a mid-table team and they've actually lost three of five games against the top four already this season. So um, really would not be surprised to see that Kelty Price hammered come kickoff on Boxing Day. Now, I think Jason has been reading my script because it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a feature so popular that Bruce Willis may or may not listen every single week. Now, there is a very famous showbiz story that Willis nearly turned down the role of John McClane in Die Hard back in 1988 because he wanted time to focus on putting together Ackers from the Barclays League. That may or may not be true. For the lawyers, it definitely didn't happen. Now, the way this works is that my three wise men come up with a selection each and then the lovely betting elves, led by Jason, turn them into a boosted treble. Who am I going to start with on this wonderful Christmas edition? I will start with... They all look very nervous. Jake. I'll start with Jake. Okay. Uh, 
I will take Arsenal off the board at Norwich. Um, don't really need to say too much about Norwich, really. Um, they continue to be really poor. Even since Dean Smith took over, their attacking process has been really, really bad. They've struggled to create chances. They've conceded at a, a rate similar to, to what we expected or what we saw under Daniel Farker. Um, but Arsenal appear to have found a bit of a groove in attack, which is it, it should really frighten Norwich because they've almost... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang being out of the picture seems to have almost given a new, new lease of life to the likes of Lacazette. Martin Elise come in and get more game time. He looks really sharp. Uh, Erdegaard's looking really good as well. Um, and they've actually, you know, the last three matches, they've racked up 1.85, 2.91 and 3.64 expected goals. So I would expect a comfortable away win. Um, so Arsenal, I'll throw in the, in the stock in for the treble. I'm going to go with Jason next. Yeah, so if, if these tips were a box of sweets, Jake is essentially taking the Malteser there. Like, <laughs> Why is that your favourite? I, I, yeah, hundred percent the Maltesers. And <laughs> Arsenal Stevens this day, I think that's that's going to be very popular. Nakas and won't put anyone off backing it. It's 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 definitely a good a good tip to have. Um, what I'd put in is I I'd say lay West Ham. So we're going with Southampton and uh, or draw double chance. Um, couple of reasons for it Mark um, spoke about earlier quite well a um, couple of factors I add to it West Ham's home record yes they bet Chelsea they bet Liverpool but they won both those games 3-2 so they showed that they could score against the best teams in the league but couldn't keep them out whereas they struggled to beat other teams that kind of around their level or below them at home this season already Palace comes to mind Brentford Brighton couple of games that they weren't as good at home uh, whereas Southampton they're coming out of the curve, you know, the curve is going the right direction in terms of injuries for Southampton. And, you know, there's just uncertainty as well about the West Ham team. David Moyes interviewed after the defeat at Tottenham couldn't say for certain or wouldn't say for certain whether Mikel Antonio would be fit for this game. So that's a massive factor as well. So I think the West Ham price might move but um, in our favour, but we'll lock it in now and we'll get the value now and we'll put in Southampton or the draw double chance. And Mark, what have you got for us? Uh, if I'm allowed to sort of venture away from the Premier League, I'd like <gasps> to take Kelty Hearts to win. <gasps> Sacrilege. Yes, of course you can, because it's Kelty Hearts you're allowed to, because we like them. Are they, are they 3 p.m. Saturday as well? It's Sunday. Sorry. They are 1 p.m., I think, Ooh. an early kickoff. He's obsessed with when the bets are, Jake. <laughs> He's a, 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 like some kind of podcast treble Machiavelli trying to work out where the uh, well the sequence is. Dear me, dear me. Now we're nudging towards the end of the year, folks. So uh, we've asked the guys uh, what their favourite bet uh, from the show was, and we've also asked them what their favourite football moment was as well. So I'm going to start with Jason. What was your uh, favourite? bet from the show of this year um, my favourite bet again it was a valued loser which is kind of people that listen to the show obviously to tune in because we know that we're going to tip up the value and you're backing up for them you'll, you'll win you'll turn you'll turn a profit all going well in the long run so England to win Euro 2020 I think we all hammered the drum on it throughout the tournament um, just in terms of the home advantage was a massive factor for them and we were just a penalty shootout away from it actually clicking Um it's funny because when, you know, Skinner and Badil released a song as well, I mean, it was terrible that the bet lost, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, it started off 30 years of hurt. It's now 56 years of hurt, so it wasn't the worst result in the world either seeing Italy triumph. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bet that I think we all tipped up. And yeah, it was unlucky. You spent a few away from clicking in the end. 
and a football moment for you, Jason? Uh, for me, uh, does anyone remember the 28th of June, 2021? Mm, 20, I think June. I might have something similar here. Yeah, go on. Okay. Uh, so essentially it was one of the all-time greatest days in terms of international summer tournament football. You would... Uh, Two games, two massive games that actually finished 3-3 after the 90 minutes. The correct score double was is about with 10,000 to one shot that would click. Given that you had eight games in the last 16, the fact that as well you'd have them back-to-back a current like that was just incredible. Um, we thought it was something unusual was going to happen when you see Pedri's own goal. Clearly, it was Unai Simon's fault. And then you think normal service resumes. Spain got 3-1 up and then bang, Orosic. Pasalic and we're going to extra time and then you've Morata you know a bit of redemption scoring an extra time in Spain winning and you're like wow okay cup of tea right sure let's watch France beat Switzerland and Deschamps absolutely shat the bed he did a pep on it he overthought it 3-4-1-2 Rabiot playing out on the left long leg in the centre of three and Swiss are playing brilliant they're 1-0 up at half time long leg gets pulled but then you think Swiss get a penalty they're going to go 2-0 up this is incredible and they missed the penalty Benzema, bang, bang, 2-1. Then Pogba scores 3-1. You think it's game over. You know, if you have to run to the shop before it closes, you think now's the time to go. But based on that Pogba celebration alone, I think the football gods thought, hang on, that's a bit ridiculous now. And then Swiss pulled two goals back. Sir Ferovic, he got two goals in the game. Yes, he can score. Believe it or not, he can score. Uh, and then Gavranovic's goal. I nearly fell goal. off the chair, to be honest. <laughs> Gavranovic's goal was just, every touch in it and the finish was just incredible. And then you get penalties to wrap it up. And arguably, what could turn out to be the best footballer in the world for the next 10 years misses the penalty and Swiss go through. And... I was lucky I was off that day. It was one of the few days I was off during the Euro, so I was glued to the couch watching it all. It was just incredible. And we also opposed France in the tournament as well, so it was a great result for, for Betfair as well. It was, um, yeah, I mean, you couldn't very hard to get a day of football like that. Like, it was just incredible. We usually pick a title for this show every week. <laughs> I don't think Deschamps Shat the Bed can actually be an acceptable title for this show. We nearly got to the end of the year without being hauled off the airwaves, but maybe it's finally going to happen. Uh, Mark, what are you going to go for? First of all, favourite bet from the show and then favourite football moment. Uh, yeah, I've, I've gone down the international route as well. So um, mine was Denmark to, to win the Euros. Um, you know, we know that great value bets often lose and, and rubbish bets always win. We say it all the time and I don't want to get too philosophical about it. But um, I often, you know, betting for me is not just about trying to hopefully earn a bit of cash, but also just the journey, just the enjoyment and the entertainment of, of a bet and, and the journey it takes you on. And I definitely felt that with Denmark. Um you know, it was thrilling, really. It's obviously quite it's the way it started and the way it ended. Um, just an amazing journey, exhilarating, really. I was properly invested in in being Danish for a couple of weeks, which was quite weird in, in all honesty, but probably too emotionally involved in the bet and in the Danish national team. But um, yeah, it was, it was just brilliant, a, a great tournament, and uh, just really enjoyed being kind of supporting them through the through the competition uh, from where they were to where they ended up, really. And it was a shame they they weren't able to kind of get uh, into the final and get England out of the way. But uh, yeah, it lost. But uh, yeah, certainly uh, I've not been as emotionally involved in a bet for, for quite some time really. So yeah, really enjoyed it. Now, this, of course, is an audio podcast, so you can't see, but Mark's uh, full-length tattoo of Pierre-Emile Hoybier <laughs> really is quite something. Uh, Jake, what about you, my friend? Uh, best moment? Uh, either. I'll let you bet. go best moment or best bet first. Okay. Um, yeah, best bet. I think... It, 
falls into something that Mark said there about the journey and, uh, of sort of selecting a, a bet and, and then something that Jason said earlier about trusting the process. And um, there's a, you know, it wasn't the biggest price, but earlier on in the season, we were quite bullish on the fact that Aston Villa weren't playing very well and Wolves were playing well, while the results were suggesting the opposite. So to get Wolves uh, onside at Villa at a big price was um, a highlight bet for me, uh, just purely based on the, the fact that the, the journey and the process bit of fortune obviously I think they scored two in the last ten, uh, in the last five minutes but um, that all counts best moment there's been quite a few especially my, maybe my recency bias is coming in here but I really really enjoyed Thiago's goal against Porto I thought I, I just looked at that and I thought how can anybody hit a ball like that like, I would love to even just you know, he hit it down, but it didn't touch the ground before it glided into the corner. Um, a bit of chaos. Jules Kunde getting sent off the other day was just hilarious. Just oh, for smashing a ball in yeah. Jordi Alba's face. Yes. Yeah, it's brilliant. Like he's doing, he basically did to Jordi Alba what I imagine millions of players have wanted to do to him for a while, which was just you know throw something at him. Um, but also, I think more importantly for the game of football, getting fans back earlier on in the season uh, for the start of this season just makes a massive difference to everything, to the spectacle while you're watching it, while you're actually in the stadium. And also from a betting standpoint, it makes a huge difference. So um, yeah, that was that was something that we'd obviously sorely missed. So getting full capacity back, hopefully we can keep it for, you know, the near future and, and beyond, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, fingers crossed. A lovely way to finish the show. That's all we have time for on this Christmas edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Have a wonderful time over the festive season. We'll be back in a week's time or so uh, with some of the New Year fixtures. From Mark, from Jason, from Jake and from me, it's goodbye for now and Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> 